The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And today we're going to continue, I'm going to continue talking about the second of these ten beautiful qualities of the heart. And remember, you know, we could divide it any number of ways. The later traditions just had seven, right? So the early tradition, early Buddhist tradition has ten of these paramis. The first one we talked about earlier in the spring was dana, generosity. And now we're talking about sila, or ethical conduct, the integrity of non-harming, virtue, the sort of beautiful power of restraint. I could say that to that person, but I know how not to say it. I know how to refrain from saying it. And the way I like to think about this, all of the paramis, but let's just think about it in terms of this valuing of non-harming. The real, like it's actually used this way in the early tradition as an adornment, a beautiful adornment, like a beautiful jewel um, in our life, in our heart. The jewel of being able to be generous instead of stingy and the jewel of having this sort of moral sensitivity and really appreciating the moral sensitivity as a beautiful adornment or a beautiful um, sort of coloring to our heart and, and to our life generally. And when we think about like happiness, there's the happiness of, you know, having enough warmth, having enough food, basic survival, right? That's a real happiness. But the the question, the important, interesting question is, is there a more resonant happiness? And it's not like we're going to give up on the project of survival, physical survival, but it may not be the most important thing. Because if physical survival is the most important thing, then we might be able to justify all kinds of actions and attitudes that really stain, corrupt, the quality of our mind and heart, but I'm able to survive physically. So one way to think about these training and these 10 beautiful qualities is we're shifting, we're learning that, like the Buddha said, a wise person is happy to let go of a lesser happiness if it means being able to tune into a a more refined, beautiful, resonant happiness, right? That's just common sense. Of course, I'll let go of this if I can open to this. So we take our fierce and sometimes obsessive attention to surviving, which might be, you know, paying attention to the stock market or manipulating things at work so we look good. Or, you know, so there's any, you know, we're not just, you know, fighting off predators as a human being, right? But the way we act out our need for survival, it's all day long. Oh, I need a bigger car. I need a, you know, a fancier cell phone that lasts longer before I have to recharge it in order to survive. I mean, we don't say it like that, but that's kind of the energy behind a lot of our grasping, a lot of our craving. It's like, I need this new pair of slacks in order to be successful, in order to survive. And if we deconstruct the craving, we'll see that behind it is this sort of existential fear of survival. 
whether it means social survival or physical survival. And then when we bump into these kinds of teachings, we realize, oh, you know, I also care about what my heart looks and feels like, this quality of the mind and heart. That actually I value. I didn't realize I valued it, but when I pay attention more and more, it becomes a greater value. And this is what we mean by like a, a wonderful, wholesome, saintly human being, right? Is somebody that cares about this inner integrity more than they do about their wealth or the, even their survival, right? Those are the people we honor as saints, that they have this integrity that matters more. I mean, this is what we'd hope our business people and our political and military leaders and all of us would have that there were some values that are more important than just survival. So it isn't, we don't descend into this sort of, it's kind of a slight against dogs, but the dog-eat-dog world, I know there's probably a better way to say that, but where we're just, you know, using whatever power we have at our disposal, any privilege, and taking advantage of it to kind of pack our fridges and pack our wallets and you know, gate our homes so that we have that physical security. And instead, when we pay attention, because what we're really paying attention to is just cause and effect. Like, how's that working for me? If I'm focused on this more gross level of physical survival, how's that feel? As opposed to more interested in cultivating beautiful qualities of the heart and mind. And then we ask, How's that working for me? And what the Buddha is saying, if we ask that honest question, we're going to find that cultivating beautiful qualities of the heart and mind works a lot better in terms of abandoning stress and cultivating happiness than being fixated on physical survival. And of course, it never ends. Like, when do we have a, a big enough fortress? Oh, I need this new security system for my home. The one I had I thought was good, but this one's so much better. And it isn't long before we have, you know, the equivalent of barbed wire and this and that, because we're, we think that um, any price is worth it if it increases our safety, increases the odds of survival. And we, we literally create hell for ourselves. And in a way, a lot of the manifest world, the way we are together, the way our economy runs, this is the hell we get when we're operating with this pleasure pr principle, like wanting pleasure, fearing pain, and thinking that that's what it's about, that sort of gross level of pleasure and pain. And then, what? so now what we're doing with these teachings on the Ten Paramis is we're trying to tune into the pleasure, the inner pleasure of wholesomeness. And you see, we really need the stability of present moment awareness. The first insight is really to realize there is a difference between my mind or heart being corrupted by unwholesome qualities of greed and hatred, delusion, versus my mind, heart, being established in non-greed, generosity, non-hate, kindness, compassion, and non-delusion, 
really valuing truthfulness and clarity and humility so I can see things better as they are and act skillfully because of that. So just, um, yeah, just keep in mind, because, um, you, you know, we sometimes think about morality or this moral sensitivity as like a big should and a big sacrifice. But we really want to sense it directly, immediately as this is for my well-being, this is for everybody's well-being. This is actually how it works. You know, and instead, you know, as we sometimes when people cultivate morality in their lives, they can kind of look enviously at other people who don't care about morality. Oh, you have it so easy. You know, you're not afraid of taking advantage of others. And, you know, you're not weighed down by moral sensitivity and moral concerns, you know. And we sort of lament, gosh, I wish I wasn't so morally sensitive. But actually, when we see these people who act out their greed, act out their delusion, act out their hate, I mean, we may need to do whatever we can to put a stop to it. So I'm not saying we just sort of passively roll over. But our attitude about them, right, if we're seeing mindfully with wisdom and balance, we'll see, oh my God, I would not want to be that mind. I would not want to inhabit that mind, that body of the person who's acting out with a lot of hate or a lot of greed or a lot of delusion. And I think this is really important at this divisive time. You know, when we look at a politician or imagine a politician, that we cultivate this this sort of sensitivity, this clarity that realizes that when somebody is acting out greed and hate and delusion, they are suffering and they're setting emotion suffering for themselves and others. And and we know we're doing it right when it evokes compassion. And remember, compassion doesn't mean we give them a free pass. It just means we don't envy them. And we realize there is karma. There is, things are lawful. And one of the things we uncover directly in our own lives is when I'm acting out greed, hate, and delusion. I'm planting, I'm tight, and I'm planting seeds for more tightness and likely causing stress for those around me. We can see this, and we need to see this over and over again. This is how we cultivate moral sensitivity. We're basically connecting the dots. And that's what in early Buddhism we call karma, the insight into karma. It's we're understanding the conditional nature. One of the most simple ways the Buddha said this in the early teachings is, when there's this, there's that. So when there's greed in the mind, there's this tightness in the mind and body, right? When With the arising of greed is the arising of this tightness. When greed ceases in the mind, this tightness that was associated with the greed ceases. But the ceasing of the greed is the ceasing of the tightness. This is an insight we need to start to cultivate. Like this more than anything else is what we do with mindful awareness. Because mindful awareness combined with wisdom, it's like mindful awareness in a way is somewhat generic because we could be 
mindful of the little bits of dust floating in the sunshine. You know, you know how that is when our cat has been rolling around in the dirt and if he's just in the right place with the sunshine and he shakes his body, there's like this huge cloud of dust <laughs> and you just see it, right? And I could be like endlessly fascinated by these little bits of dust in the air. But being mindful of the little butt dusts in the air doesn't lead to the deepening of wisdom and more freedom in my life and more skill in how I participate in our wider world. What we want to do with mindful awareness is this work of cause and effect. How is suffering set in motion and how can it cease? And the interesting thing is, and this is in that article, like the link that we'll put in the blog, the title is in your um is in the chat there, and you could probably just Google it. And it was a book that Gil Fransdell wrote, the, what was it? Um, oh, The Equivalence of Ethics and Enlightenment. That's a provocative title. The Equivalence of Ethics, This Moral Sensitivity and Awakening, that they're not different. And the chapter two here, which I wanted to share a few of the quotes uh, from the suttas, from the discourses that Gail put in chapter 2. Because this is really about this point I've been making, where the Buddha says, Wise people of great wisdom do not intend for their own affliction, or for the affliction of others, or for the affliction of both. Rather, right, so he's talking about the motivation of a wise person. Rather, wise people think of their own welfare, the welfare of others, the welfare of both, and the welfare of the whole world. It is in this way that one is a wise person of great wisdom. Right? So that's a really useful definition of what the Buddha means by a wise person. A wise person doesn't distinguish what's good for me and what's good for the world. So, in other words, a sign of ignorance is when we have this limited idea that I have to choose between my well-being and the well-being of the world. Like somehow where I'm opposed, my well-being is opposed to taking care of others. And I've got to choose. So if we choose to be moral, that means I have to sacrifice my own well-being. That's a very limited, unhelpful view. And it basically arises because we're not paying attention, lack of vision, lack of sensitivity. When we pay attention more, study our life more deeply, we see that taking care of everybody is how we take care of ourselves. And taking care of ourselves skillfully, we take care of everybody. It works both ways. We can't really take care of ourselves in a deep way without taking care of everybody. Because taking care of myself means, for example, cultivating mindfulness, cultivating kindness, cultivating compassion, cultivating generosity. Because otherwise, I'm destined to be stingy and mean, and that is not a pleasant place person to be. So this is really like the very ground of our awakening practice, sila, moral sensitivity. It's not like an add-on or some people think of it like, oh, first, you know, you got to be a good person, then you get to wake up. No, 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 they really go hand in hand. This moral sensitivity and the awakening. I think I mentioned last week this uh, 
simple way to remember habit without conflict. I'm re- forgetting who gave that quote. Um, I think it was a, a Buddhist monk. Habit without conflict is another way to think about this cultivating of moral sensitivity. Because we're uprooting the habits that justify conflict. You know, we can be in conflict with everything. Often we're in conflict with our own body. Like, I'm going to eat this food. I don't care what it feels like in my body because I want it. You know, I want more ice cream. I want more this. And we're often in conflict with others. I want this good view and I don't care if it blocks the person behind me because I got here first. And on and on. And then another quote that just is so foundational in the Buddhist teachings it's just the, it's in the uh, Buddha's uh, advice for the training in the Padimokkha, which is uh, the sort of uh, monastic discipline, I guess you could say. But a lot of it refers to lay people as well, like you and me. Doing no evil, no unwholesome task, engaging in what is wholesome and purifying the mind. This is the teaching of the Buddha of all the Buddhas, right? There's more through the eons of existence. There have been many Buddhas, people who not only are fully awake, remember, Buddhists are not only people who wake up, who have deep insight, but people who can articulate the practice in ways that are helpful, and people who woke up without a set of teachings. See, we have a set of teachings, so no matter how good your practice gets, you can't be a Buddha yet. (laughs) You have to wait till there are no more teachings available, because we forgot them all and then wake up and have the personality that allows you to teach in a way that helps other people wake up, then you get that title. So there have been many Buddhas, and they all teach the same thing, these three points. Learn to refrain, learn to be sensitive sensitive enough that you know the difference between what's wholesome and unwholesome, and develop the capacity to refrain from the impulse, no matter how strong the habit might be in our personality, that is unskillful. That's a skill you need to do this practice. We have to sense, because I can't get rid of my unwholesome impulses immediately, but I can uh, develop the mindful, wise awareness. Oh yeah, this impulse, to say this, to do this, to think this, that's not skillful. I'm going to redirect, I'm going to refrain, I'm not going to do it. And then the second one is to cultivate what's wholesome. And interestingly, I'm sure you've noticed this in your own life, cultivating what's wholesome is probably the easiest way to refrain from doing what's unwholesome. So, for example, if you're, you know, just about to overeat or about to watch way too much TV, doing something that's wholesome, like getting involved, calling a friend, going out and helping somebody who's struggling, a a good friend who's struggling, helping them clean out their home or doing some shopping for them, then you're doing something wholesome and it helps you to refrain from doing something unwholesome. Generosity, service, I tell you, it's one of the best ways to save ourselves. Always have a few things in our back pocket that we can do, that we're willing to do, that are helpful for others. Getting involved whether it's something close to home, like one of your people you live with, or saving the world in little bits and pieces, just 
contributing to the well-being of the wider world. There are so many ways to do that. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to evoke a beautiful intention. Because the world, as we all know, is complex. So like uh, some of you probably know, there are many Kamgar people that have gone up north to the Line 3 activity that's going on this weekend in northern Minnesota around the pipeline that's being built, bringing um, petroleum products from the tar sands in Canada down to Superior, uh, the port there at uh, Duluth-Superior on Lake Superior. And, you know, people rightly think that, uh, besides the fact that it goes through treaty land of the indigenous people, and just one more slight, uh, so long of history of oppression and genocide, for the indigenous people, it's bringing more carbon into the world that doesn't need more carbon. Now, it's a complex issue, but just because things are complex doesn't mean we uh, sit and don't do anything. And I'm not arguing one way or the other in this particular issue, but what I'm saying is that the intention to do something can be very pure and healing, even when issues are complex. You know, like the fact that people have to drive up to northern Minnesota to be part of this action, right? So it's sort of like we're in this world where we burn gasoline, among other things. And that's just how it is. It's complex. And we still engage. And the, the judge or the way we evaluate our engagement is we learn to feel this moral sensitivity. And in a sense, we're tasting or feeling the quality of the intention. Is it more the flavor of greed or more the flavor of generosity? More the flavor of hate, throwing somebody or some buddies out of our heart, or more the flavor of kindness and compassion? More delusion, fixed view, more of a humble, open curiosity about the truth, moment by moment, right? Non-delusion. That's how. That's the whole point of this cultivating these wholesome qualities because it really refines our skill about what's skillful and unskillful. And the last part is really to that point. So refrain, the power of the skill of being able to refrain, the skill of being able to aim towards wholesome qualities, wholesome intentions. And the third thing that all the Buddhists teach, purify the heart which is basically saying, the Buddha is saying, we are all doomed unless we develop sensitivity. So purifying the heart, it's really like cultivating the mind and heart that can be profoundly sensitive. So we know the difference and we have a sense of what needs to be refrained from and what needs to be cultivated, right? The difference between what's wholesome and unwholesome. And that, as I mentioned the, the first day when we talked about morality last week, you know, morality in early Buddhism is not a top-down thing, that somebody out there has decided what's right and wrong, and then we're trying to, you know, as a deluded human being, trying to get what God or somebody up there thinks is right and wrong. You know, the right and wrong, uh, what's skillful and unskillful, is really about the quality in our own heart. And we have to be, uh, yeah, just sensitive and honest about shadow. Like, 
I want to be doing what's right. I want to imagine that I'm doing what's right, so I'm just going to pretend. We have to cultivate, that's this last piece, and purify the mind. These are the teachings of all the Buddhas. We have to have a mind that, because mindful awareness, wisdom awareness, it doesn't have an agenda. I'm not trying to protect my inner status quo or I'm really interested in the truth of the moment, like what is this setting in motion? And that's what I meant, the sort of deepening insight into karma is getting a sense of when I'm relating like this, what sort of seeds are being planted in my mind stream, my heart stream? Who am I becoming because I'm relating like this? What tendencies are getting stronger? Is that the kind of heart I'm interested in cultivating? Do I want to become that kind of person? And that's how it all works. Moment by moment, we're becoming somebody. We're cultivating, we're setting something in motion. And the last quote here, Wisdom is purified by virtue, and virtue is purified by wisdom. Where one is, the other is. The virtuous person has wisdom, and the wise person has virtue. And the combination of virtue and wisdom is called the highest thing in the world. So that's another quote from the Buddha. It's really that point I made earlier that it's really the essence of the path. This uh, moral sensitivity around causing harm and seeing that causing harm for myself and others is linked, not like I got to choose. That's that survival mentality, you know, me against the world. And I, you know, sorry, but I got to, I got to take care of my own. And it may not be just you, it may be you and who you think is in your group, whatever that means to you. But somehow we separate out the, the totality. Now that doesn't mean that it's wrong, you know, because we, we live in a world where life eats life. So there's going to be death and there's going to be harm and there's going to be destruction. We're really talking on this level of intention. And, you know, this is why it can be so moving when we read about culture, like indigenous culture here. And, you know, it, it's, of course it rose in a lot of traditional cultures where they they would go hunting, for example, eat other animals. But they're, they developed a real relationship with the animals that they ate and a real respect. And uh, this is something we can do here. And it's, you know, it's sort of happening as a response to industrial agriculture, which is sort of like throwing these animals out of our hearts because they're animals and because it's convenient to the way our uh, economy works to not imagine that their harm matters. And so what happens when we, we just feel what it feels like, like if we had videos of our ag uh, industrial agriculture, what, what kind of choices would we make? If we just cultivated a sensitive heart around how we eat, how would we eat? Knowing. It's not like we'd stop eating, because that would be a cause for harm for ourselves. But we, we'd, it would all get different. It would all be transformed the way we eat, how we take care of ourselves, knowing that everything, feeling that everything matters. All our choices matter. 
Same thing with accumulation of wealth. You know, that it matters. Just because it's my money in that sort of surface sense, it's in my bank account, but I care, I know, I hear, you know, the cries of the world to some degree because of our news and just being exposed. So what am I going to do with that sensitivity? And the, the sensitivity, it really operates in these three ways. This growing power to be able to refrain, even though I might have the habit, I can refrain from acting it out. So that's one aspect of morality or this integrity of non-harming. The other is learning to trust wholesome qualities and to like let them rip. So when we notice that there's a trustworthy quality of generosity operating in my heart, then I'm not so concerned about what I say, do, and how I act, because it's really flowing from this trustworthy quality of my heart. Otherwise, we can, it can feel a little bit controlling and, and overly complex, like, how should I give? But we can just let nature, the nature of our mind, the nature of our body, the nature of the causes and conditions in that moment with the people involved, other beings involved, and just like let our life energy be uh, move through that intention to be generous without getting in the minutia of what am I going to say, what am I not going to say. When, and that leads us to the third aspect of morality. So the first is the power, the creative power of restraint. The second is the creative power of aiming or trusting wholesome qualities of mind. And the third is kind of the fruition, which is that sense of freedom, where there's the latent tendencies to be greedy and hateful and deluded have been teased out. These ten beautiful paramis have been developed, have some momentum, and we really can let our personality be wild, wild nature. So when we show up for a business meeting or show up for our family of origin or show up to be an activist or whatever we might do, it's like we've done the work of really developing, cultivating our garden of wholesome qualities. And so we don't have to be the parental oversight of our personality because when we look at the personality, we see that these wholesome qualities are well-developed. They have deep roots. The unwholesome qualities have been weeded out. And then our personality is a force of nature. And, and how we're skillful, how we act in ways that are supportive of our own well-being and the well-being of others is very nimble and creative precisely because we're not trying to be a good person. That's a limited way to be a good person, to try to be a good person. The better way is to get interested in the unwholesome and creatively learn how to refrain, not feed those tendencies, Cre uh, to get sensitive and learn what's wholesome, develop those tendencies, and then in moments when the good qualities are really in motion already, let it rip. And just practice letting nature be nature, letting the nature of all that good gardening express itself in the world. Awareness, wisdom awareness is still there because it can go south, right? All of a sudden, an obnoxious person triggers your unhelpful <laughs> tendencies of mind that you thought you had uprooted, and there it is. You're angry, and you're blowing up. 
and then you still have that superpower of restraint. You take it out, even though you hadn't been using it, and you leave the room because you don't want to act out, or you say, you know, let's talk about this later. I'm I'm a little bit upset, and I don't want to cause harm. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.